Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of January 2023. Uh, I'd just like to say a Happy New Year uh, to our dear listeners. And I don't know about all of yous, um, but the holiday season has really kicked my ass. Uh, something fierce, honestly. Uh, too many Christmases. Too many New Year's. I, I am beat to shit. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, uh, Kyle is also not present on this recording. So this is going to be, once again, one of those instances of me uh, talking to myself uh, with myself. Uh, so please bear with me. Hopefully this will be a short one, uh, especially considering um, just how awful uh, the film that I just watched uh, really was. Um, and and in not, not in the sort of awful way that presents me with a lot of material to work with, if I'm being 100% honest. Um, so to dispel the mystery uh, as as to what film I'm going to be reviewing today, um, I haven't had a chance to talk with Kyle about um, any potential themes uh, for our January 2023 catalog uh, of reviews. Uh, so this is just kind of a random pick, but um, the film that I'm going to be reviewing today is a film called Paradise City uh, from the year 2022. Uh, directed by, of all fucking people, I never would have seen this coming in a million years, Chuck Russell. Um, now, this is a movie that is likely not on your radar, um, although I should probably scratch that and say, if you are a frequent guest of your local Redbox, uh, more than likely uh, you are well aware of this film and have likely already rented this film, because this film seems completely engineered. Um, for placement in red boxes throughout, you know, the, the world. <laughs> so uh, this movie, a uh, little, little bit of backstory. Uh, the part of the reason I'm reviewing this one is is just sheer novelty factor. In fact, yeah, it's a hundred percent just novelty factor. Um, and it's for weird reasons that are difficult to understand unless you're me. Um, so allow me to try my best here. So this movie is called Paradise City. It's a very recent film came out in 2022 um the imdb trivia actually points this out as being potentially uh bruce willis's last credited role um i don't know how true that is i i i know that he's been doing a lot of work in recent years i don't know if this is actually truly going to be the last released film uh, to feature him we shall see um but it's very worth noting that uh, i am very aware of the situation with Bruce Willis um, and uh, his aphasia um, and the fact that he seemingly has been uh, cranking out a lot of easy films, I guess, uh, from a performance standpoint uh, in a very short period of time, seemingly to cash in, like like blatantly just cash in, probably, like, sadly, probably for the purpose of, you know, getting uh, getting his affairs in order and uh making making the best life for his his loved ones and family i i'm assuming that's the case i don't actually know um it's a little scummy but it's also a little tragic so it's it's a little bit of column a and a little bit of column b but uh this film very much fits into that category uh this was a hastily thrown together effort uh it's a very low effort production in most areas um and that includes Bruce Willis's involvement. So 
um, the giant umbrella that is the past few years of uh, Bruce Willis's direct-to-video offerings, largely from Lionsgate and Saban Films, um, this film very, very tidily fits under that umbrella. Um, if it is his last credited film, that's that's a little sad. But um, I've been curious about checking out one of those films just to see what the deal is, like just to see how truly awful they are. Um, and part of part of the thing with me and, and bad movies, like quote bad movies, is uh, it's almost more interesting for me to watch like low budget, not very good films sometimes because I feel like I learn things from dissecting them. It's a lot of fun like playing amateur detective and asking a lot of questions about the production side of things like, oh, maybe this is bad because they didn't have X resources or X amount of time. Uh, so for me personally, and this is an exercise that I, I can't imagine everybody can relate to, but for me, it's actually really kind of a fun little game uh, to watch in a very low budget, hastily thrown together film and try to pick it apart and come to understand why it is the way it is. Um, occasionally, uh, you'll you'll come across low budget films like low budget like red box type films like dad action films like let's let's be specific here um basically like liam neeson's more recent offerings like or, or um a lot of steven dorff films and he is in this film by the way but um it it is kind of fun for me uh to occasionally find like diamonds in the rough like let's be honest never never truly diamonds but it is kind of fun to be impressed by things that by most standards shouldn't be impressive we're like in this one uh <clears throat> i will say without even giving a plot summary I, there is at least one instance where a actual physical uh squib is used in the film um and i and you know I, I popped for that i was like oh wow they had squibs and, and you know i hate to say it but you know i had a couple of instances where uh, I noticed that, oh, hey, Bruce Willis was actually in the same room with some of the people that he was exchanging dialogue with. I was actually legitimately impressed by that. I was like, oh, wow, as far as I understand, that doesn't happen um, in all of these more recent Bruce Willis direct-to-video films, nor does it happen in many of Steven Seagal's more recent direct-to-video films. In in the world of, of these these particular brands of, of dad action films, these direct-to-video trash bin films, it, things like that are a sign of, quote, quality, <laughs> I guess. It's like, wow, they actually got Bruce Willis and the lead actor of the film in the same room together for a shot? A shot? You don't get that all the time. That That's kind of impressive. Way to go, Chuck. Way to go, Chucky Russell. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I'll try my guest my my best uh, here to give a plot summary. I, I tend to lean on Kyle uh, to to provide the plot summaries because I'm always entertained by what he he pulls out of his ass. <laughs> but um, I'll I'll try to spitball something here. So, and and actually, this is a huge part of what got me to watch this film. In fact, it's almost a hundred percent of what got me to watch this film. So this was advertised loudly and proudly as. Willis versus Travolta <laughs> and it is absolutely not that I mean anybody who you know has half a brain would know that that's absolutely not where you're going to be getting these these two actors 
uh, in a film that apparently was shot in three weeks um, are are probably not going to be you know having a intense like throwdown like they're not going to be punching each other and like throwing each other through plate glass windows or something at the finale of the movie it's like no it, they are in opposition to each other like in the narrative but it's not going to be there's not going to be fireworks or anything like that but the 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 trailer for the film really does blatantly advertise it as that um the plot summary though the official one i don't have it in front of me but i seem to recall the official plot summary of the film actually does advertise it uh genuinely um because spoiler alert and spoil like full spoilers in general for any episode of catching up on cinema um bruce willis is shot uh and presumed dead within the first five minutes of the film uh he does get better uh that did catch me off guard i was like oh I was fully prepared for him to make his exit within those first couple of minutes in the movie. Like, in fact, that's what my brother told me was going to happen before I watched this thing. Because I sent him the trailer and he was like, that looks fucking terrible. And it is fucking terrible, but I, I watched it. He's, he's a smarter man than me. He's he's never going to watch this. But he called it. He said, I'm pretty sure Bruce Willis is just going to get shot in the opening scene of the movie. And that's probably going to be the, the extent of his involvement. Um that it, he is correct that does happen but he actually comes back i i didn't see that coming I, so bonus points to the film for actually uh having bruce willis on whatever set or whatever green screen warehouse set they built um in la uh for maybe two days or, or maybe two afternoons who knows it was more than one day though i can confirm that because he is in multiple locations as far as i can tell um but the plot summary, um, and again, largely the reason why I, I bothered to watch this fucking film, um, is John Travolta is a, like, kingpin-esque uh, high society type who also happens to be um, the chief meth dealer of the Hawaiian Islands. And Bruce Willis is like a bail bondsman or a bounty hunter who is at odds with him and wants to take him down. And I saw that it was actually shot in Maui, um, and just just the concept. I was like, "Hang on, so you mean John Travolta is a is a meth dealer in Maui, <laughs> and Bruce Willis is going to be running around the island with an assault rifle trying to track him down?" It's like, I that I know that doesn't appeal to most people, but to me that tickled me in just the right way. Um, and I, I I know I'm doing a shit job of, of keeping things on track here, but l allow me to try to explain myself. So my mom's side of the family uh, is from Hawaii. Um, we don't really have any family on Maui as far as I understand. Um, we got like a, a couple scattered on the big island, mostly on Oahu though. Uh, so like Hawaiian culture and, and Hawaiian locales are something I'm very familiar with. Um, and I, I, I do have a, a soft spot for it. like like anytime that kind of stuff is referenced or represented on film, even in like bargain bin dreck like this shit, um, I'm I, my my ears perk up. I, I can't help but be kind of kind of compelled to, to check it out, see what it's all about. And then you toss John Travolta into the mix as some howly meth dealer. <laughs> um a, like a, a a drug czar on the island uh this howly meth dealer <laughs> and crime boss uh versus quote versus bruce willis uh that that just sounds 
interesting to me on paper. And a lot of it, like Bruce Willis holds zero appeal for me these days, um, aside from curiosity, the curiosity factor of, of seeing um, how he's doing. Um, it, I'm, it's it's tragic. Like like I've I've seen enough footage of some of his more recent offerings to know that he he's not in a good place. Like health wise, I don't know about emotionally, um, but it, it's really sad um, actually. So I, I don't have any fascination with seeing that. Um, actually, the selling point for this for me personally was uh, Travolta um, because I actually have um, unlike Willis. Um, I actually have watched um, like the, some of the past half decade or so of uh, direct-to-video uh, Saban films, uh, John Travolta films. Like Lionsgate and Saban specialize in dad cinema, uh, Redbox and dad cinema. So just like older, like faded action stars uh, brandishing pistols on the cover of low-budget action films, those kind of movies from the past five, six, seven, eight years. Um, I've actually watched a handful of those uh, from John Travolta. Um, and some of them, some, not, I'm not going to say all, but some of them are actually not half bad. Like, I, I actually have been somewhat impressed by a couple of them. Uh, so um, now, now begins the part, I guess, where I, I start... Uh, going over the filmographies uh, and the backgrounds of the people involved in this fucking thing, because I really have very little to say about the movie other than it's bad. It's real bad. Um, but for instance, um, I Am Wrath uh, is a John Travolta film that also has, uh, what's his face? I, I used a naked photo of him <laughs> as a, as a uh, Photoshop project for a, a YouTube video I made recently. Christopher Maloney. It also has Christopher Maloney. He he kind of does a lot of the the more action heavy uh, aspect. Like he does a lot of the heavy lifting um, when it comes to the action scenes in that film. That one was you know it's basically a, a taken like, and it features John Travolta in a ridiculous wig. So already we're we're on the right track. Um, and that that was not half bad. Like it was it was okay. <laughs> um, and I did watch Gotti. That movie is bad. It is legit bad, but I found it to be entertaining. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to defend it as a work of quality. Uh, Speed Kills, um, which I I remember sending the poster to this one uh, to a friend of mine because John Travolta's facial expression is, is a little disconcerting. Like, like um, he... Uh, he doesn't look happy to be having his photo taken, is, is what I'll say. But um, it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a Scorsese-esque, uh, like, con or, a, like, hustle film. Like a, a gang, like a gangster film in that way, rather than more, like, uh, tooth and nail, like, uh, Molotovs and, pit, like, handguns kind of gangster. More of just, like, a, a white-collar criminal who, who rubs shoulders with lots of scummy types. That was... Also bad, but not terrible. But the the one that really surprised me was uh, the Poison Rose, which I, I think I have often uh, misrepresented uh, the title. I, I think I called it the Crimson Rose uh, in previous episodes of Catching Up on Cinema. The Poison Rose from 2019 also features John Travolta in a terrible wig, which is also a selling point for me. Um, but it also has uh, Brendan Fraser 
or Frazier, um, who is, you know, in the running to win a fucking Oscar this year, um, in 2019, it, it features him in a small role, and uh, he is taking the material for a fucking walk. Um, he is putting in a loud performance. Um, he he was impressive for what what the the production was demanding of him which was exactly nothing <laughs> but the poison rose was not terrible i'll just say that much and i did actually watch uh, fred durst's the fanatic and while it is really cringe from a performance standpoint travolta really didn't uh, handle things very well and the script really didn't handle things really well um as a film it it's largely like coherent and has decent production values. It wasn't terrible. So what I'm trying to say with this this whole big ramble here is that Travolta, to me, often strikes me as an actor who, regardless of the quality of performance, it, it's going to be all over the place. Like, like, he's very inconsistent. But regardless of the objective quality of his performance, he generally goes big, or he tries and a lot of times I can appreciate that, where if if I can see that somebody's taking risks or if somebody is entertaining themselves by just, as I said in reference to Brendan Fraser, taking the material for a walk or something, sometimes I, f- I find that entertaining. And in the case of John Travolta, when he goes big, I kind of like it. He doesn't go big in this movie, uh, which is kind of a problem. But uh, he is doing like a, a weird like late, late era Orson Welles thing with his... Uh, with his speech pattern or something or i'm i'm picturing orson wells in the paul masson commercial not not the official commercial but the outtakes of that commercial it doesn't do anything nah, the french champagne like travolta's doing some like orson wells had a very specific speech cadence and and he had that like i think he was from wisconsin actually but he had a particular way of speaking that he would put a precise emphasis on specific syllables and i feel like travolta's kind of touch like he's touching that just a little bit but it's not a great performance unfortunately um i already went over bruce willis uh he he had his moment he's he's done good work but he's he's not an actor anymore he is uh he is an action figure to put on the poster and it's really sad that that's the case um, he doesn't do anything amazing here. Um, what, as far as I understand, like he, in in a lot of these direct-to-video films he's been doing in recent years, um, uh, everything that you would expect from those is present in this film. Uh, there's a lot of use of body doubles, uh, shooting from behind. Uh, in the opening sequence of the film, actually, I was, and throughout every sequence he was included in this film i made a little game out of trying to guess when he was actually on set uh when he was actually on set when he was actually interacting with with the other actors when he was on a green screen and when he was you know being doubled um and the first handful of shots in this movie he is doubled and they are very carefully shooting him from the neck down and occasionally from the waist down so they're being like doubly careful about not giving away the fact that that is most not certainly not bruce wallace um but thankfully they get like a hero shot of him uh only like a few cuts in so it's like oh okay that you know it's they know how to make a movie they know how to 
shoot things accordingly where it's like we only have access to willis for x number of minutes maybe <laughs> um for each sh- day of shooting we even have him available um and they they made decent use of him i did i think i sussed out a couple of instances where he was very much uh green screened into sequences where he's he's like supposed to be sitting on a log next to a woman like beside a fire and it's like one i don't know if that fire is real and two i'm pretty sure that old woman was talking to herself on the on the day they were shooting and they just green screened willis next to her um but there's a couple of instances where he is he's definitely in the room with at least some of the talent some of the other talent in the film which again is is kind of impressive um but a lot of use of body doubling a lot of instances of there's even a sequence where a du- where the character walks backwards into a room uh like a boris Karloff frankenstein style where it's like that's how you're introducing your character he's just gonna walk at he's gonna walk ass first into the frame okay but they, they uh they have a little bit of adr uh to point out that he says you go on ahead i'll cover your six it's like oh that now he's covering their six that's why he's facing the opposite direction that the camera's <laughs> or he's facing the same direction as the camera's facing. Ah, clever, clever, clever use of ADR. You you covered your ass. Um speaking of sound, um that was probably the saddest uh part of of his performance in the film. Um is everything I just mentioned about him being doubled or him being insert like in post production being added to scenes via green screen. Um that's that's all you know if you handle that well enough like if you shoot if you shoot knowing full well that that's what you're you're up against it can be done tastefully and and actually i would say that it's done pretty well here um they they shoot him at distance sometimes and and the the double is very seldom revealed um they they cut around it pretty well but the one thing that you can't you really can't get away with and you know ai technology's really moving fast these days so maybe maybe i'm wrong on that maybe we're five minutes away from solving that problem but like bad sound um is a really difficult hurdle to get over um and it's also like one of the most grating things that you can encounter in a film like like bad lighting and and like poor cinematography that that stuff it's like you know there's not a big deal It, it happens you know but when you run into bad audio in a film, for some reason, I, I want to say this is fairly universal. When you encounter like objectively poor quality audio in a feature fucking film, it sticks out. Like it, it, it it's like whoa, something is amiss. Like it, it really jumps out at you. And um, unfortunately, Bruce Willis's uh, his uh, ability to speak seems to be a huge problem. Um, so there's a lot of instances where it sounds like, well, for one, uh, they definitely have someone else, um, in the recording booth for a handful of lines that maybe they had to, they had to pick up after the fact. Um, so there's, there's definitely more than one voice, uh, serving as Bruce Willis's voice. They did get him to do some lines, but there is also someone else uh, who doesn't sound very much like him at all. Um, and mind you, this, this, these are things that I've encountered in other films many a time. I mean, I've, I've watched some Steven Seagal movies in my day, some late era Steven Seagal movies, and he has entire films where he's dubbed, 
like entire perform his entire performance from an audio standpoint uh, is performed by someone who's not him. Oh yeah, and he's doing action scenes while seated, if at all. <laughs> so it's kind of remarkable when you when you compare it to that that Willis actually you know despite his ailments, um, his you know physical handicaps, uh, actually did some of his dialogue. Um, so it, already you have that problem where it's like, okay, that's clearly not him, but I understand you, you got to pick things up every once in a while and you're working with an actor who is compromised from a physical standpoint. So it's probably very difficult from, a, let's face it, impossible from a logistical standpoint to have him redub his lines or come in after the fact, like when you're in post-production to, to dub his lines, to do looping or whatever. Um, but the really nasty stuff is where um, they have to cut around it. So they, they you can tell that he's stumbling over his lines or he's delivering things in a staccato rhythm or he's doing it like piecemeal where like sentences are coming out in fragments and they had to stitch it together. Um, and so to hide the seams, um, they, they keep cutting away from him mid-speech. Um, but then they do some shit that's really really nasty where it sounds like they used they used like AI or some sort of sound processing software to kind of like interpolate uh, the sounds coming out of his mouth where it's like they, they literally like used technology to stitch his words together into a coherent sentence I, I'm doing a poor job of explaining it but there's a there's hiccups in his cadence and his, his 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 rhythm and his tone that feel very artificial and and it's it sounds bad, man. It, it feels bad, sounds bad, uh, for sure. Um, and that was really unfortunate. I really hate to see that. Um, anyway, we should move on. So uh, Stephen Dorff is in this film, and uh, Stephen Dorff uh, is. I've never had a problem with Stephen Dorff as an actor. Like, like, I mean, I, I like the, the gate. That was a fun movie when he was a little kid. Um, and of course, you know, blade, uh, his Deacon Frost is, you know, a kind of big deal from that era of cinema, a very iconic portrayal of that character, particularly a petulant vampire type that, uh, for me anyway, was kind of a new thing. Um, but he's been consistently working forever. Um, and as a result, he's he's very adept at just showing up and seemingly just putting on a show. Um, I would I wouldn't say he's a selling point to anyone these days, um, but I'm never I'm I never have a problem with seeing him. Like like I actually kind of like Stephen Dorff for the most part. Um, and actually, he's done a, a handful of movies in recent years that I I actually would be curious to check out. Um, and I'm actually looking at his filmography right now to refresh my memory. Um, so I don't think it's good, um, but I'll, I'll come back to it in a second. But there's a film by the name of Embattled um, that actually kind of uh, piqued my interest at one point and actually led to a little bit of disappointment when I saw that he was in this film. And I'll get to that, like I said, in a second. But um, I will point out that I did watch Old Henry, um, which he serves as the chief villain in. It's a Western from 2021 um, that features uh, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, that that goofy looking feller from those Coen Brothers films. Um, Tim Blake Nelson uh, as a Western action star, 
Um, and I've, I've said it numerous times on Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, I have a particular fascination, uh, not just with uh, narratives uh, featuring the Hawaiian Islands, but um, actors who don't do action roles taking on action-heavy roles. Um, I, I love seeing an actor launch themselves into an action scene and surprise me. Uh, clearly, that's something that I, I enjoy in movies is being surprised uh, by by having low like lowered expectations and and then being impressed by the end result. Um, I I didn't expect much from Tim, Tim Blake Nelson from an action standpoint, but just the novelty of seeing him, who I'd never seen do much of anything remotely physical, if I'm being honest, uh, take on a role like that. I was curious, uh, and I actually did pick that one up from a bargain bin i did watch it it's not half bad it's not amazing but it's not bad um and steven dorf was quite good in it and it seems like steven dorf has kind of found himself in this situation where he's like i don't know he he uh he has that he has that southern twang that he brings to his performances and uh much like uh boyd holbrook uh these days in, in hollywood i feel like that's that actually is a selling point like that can that can take you real far, honestly. Um, regardless of what talent you're bringing to the table, but the point is, I don't have a problem with Stephen Dorff. I think he's all right, um, and he is all right in this film. Unfortunately, he is underutilized um, because this kind of movie is is the kind of place where if you cast him opposite the correct actors or put him in the correct scenarios, he he can give you some stuff. Um, but unfortunately, this movie seems to not have much interest in utilizing him because he is removed from the plot very early, and we only cut back to him like once. And he has like one decent conversation with Travolta, and that's kind of it. Um, and now coming back to that movie Embattled that I mentioned from 2020, um, the plot of that movie is it's like it's like Warrior, but even more dysfunctional. Um, if if you get my if you get the message, so it's as far as I understand, it's an MMA film, so it's about mixed martial arts, but it's like a it's a father and a son fighting each other as opposed to two brothers. Um, so it's melodrama mixed with <laughs> mixed martial arts, um, and I, I was curious because you know to take on a role like that, I would imagine you you know do like five minutes of jujitsu or kickboxing or something you know you train up for the role just a little bit and he he did show up in shape for that role um so i like my takeaway from that was like oh maybe maybe he's an enthusiast maybe he t learns some skills uh in preparation for that role that he can parlay into his future roles um i know sean patrick flannery um another one of those uh <laughs> direct video guys uh sean patrick flannery as far as i know and i wouldn't expect anybody listening to this to be aware of this um i did hear that he uh is an avid fan um and practitioner of uh of bjj of brazilian jiu-jitsu uh and as a result um he has been bringing those skills into his roles like it does seem to be dictating where he's taking his career because it's something he enjoys and it's something he can do um, so it's a, it's a skill that he can bring to the set and, you know, increase his stock a little bit. Um, not that 
matters. He's not going to be headlining any major films in a, like anytime soon, unless it's Boondock Saints three. Um, but you know, we'll see if that ever gets off the ground. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was, what I'm trying to get at here is that in knowing, because I haven't seen that film embattled uh, from 2020, but I, I have been aware of it. It's been on my radar for two years, three years. Um, in knowing that he had done that role fairly recently, I was like, oh, you know, it's in Hawaii. Hawaii's kind of a hotbed for mixed martial arts. And, you know, the the advertisement was pretty heavy on, you know, the punching and the shooting and stuff. Maybe he's going to do some of that. No. Uh, Siemendorf shoots a couple people. Uh, he is on screen, of, like, legitimately with Bruce Willis for... I, I can pinpoint exactly one shot where they're coming out of a hotel together and Steven Dorff has to t- remind him not sh- not to shoot the guests. I don't know if that was ad-libbed. I hope it wasn't because that would be really, really mean. <laughs> but it was kind of funny, actually. But that shot can confirm the two, those two men were next to each other. Um, but the whole action scene where they're hiding behind a table and shooting ski mask wearing goons who are on who are on the roof of a hotel like like they they reside at the hotel why are they on the roof and why do they have ski masks (laughs) it was very confusing but that quote action scene where they take cover and pop out and shoot in the general direction of the bad guys uh, for a couple of rounds that's kind of the action climax of the film (laughs) um and that's also kind of the extent of steven dorff's uh action chops uh displayed in this film so no no uh kickboxing no uh no bjj from uh steven dorf uh in paradise city very unfortunate um blake jenner uh, aka some some white guy uh, some howley kid <laughs> um, is officially the protagonist of the film uh, he plays bruce willis's son um and yeah he's he's some howley kid that apparently has done movies um none of which i have seen and that that unfortunately like like my brother was 100 percent right on that he, he called it bruce willis did in fact get shot in the first couple minutes of the film and he also i think called it that some generic white guy uh, is going to be the lead as opposed to bruce willis or john travolta and he sure enough my brother knows things there's a reason he's my older brothers because he, he he knows shit and yeah Blake Jenner is officially the protagonist of the film. And yeah, he looks largely really uncomfortable on screen. Like his line deliveries are okay, but like his his posture and like like his body language is not very stagey. Like like he doesn't look very naturalistic, I guess is what I'm getting at. And that also unfortunately kind of extends to the leading lady of the film, uh, Priya Lundberg, who I, who I believe is a I mean she's Hapa, but she's a Thai actress. And if you look at her filmography, it's like essentially a hundred percent Thai film and television. Um, so clearly, she like has a strong grasp of the English language. Um, but as far as I understand, as an actress, um, she really doesn't have much under her belt um, in the states as an actress. Um, but her uh, her delivery is a little stilted. Um, there's a lot of like waiting for your turn kind of stuff going on between like during her exchanges with our our boy Blake Jenner um Captain Howley uh Blake Jenner like uh they just kind of like go da 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 uh 
oh, it's my turn. Da 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 da. And just kind of the the cadence isn't there. They don't they don't have chemistry at all. Uh, unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, by the way, uh, s- s- strip clubs and and guns are are as far as I understand a uh, required element of any Lionsgate and or Saban films production that I'm just noticing a trend just just seems to be like a prerequisite if you're going to submit a script uh, to the Saban films production group it's like hmm seems to be a lack of strippers in this script (laughs) it's like let me ask you this question is there ever a gun in the story it's like no it's a it's a coming of age tale that takes place on a fishing pond it's like well, you know what would make that fishing trip a lot better is if there were some strippers <laughs> on the waterfront when they <laughs> when they send the boat out to the pond, and also if the dad in the boat uh, had a gun and he was shooting at fish. Um, seems to be a common thing in these films. Uh, direct-to-video action cinema in general It's like if it doesn't have some tits or it doesn't have some guns, we're not we're not selling anything. Um, Okay, so we're getting we're getting into the weeds here when it comes to the cast. Like I'm running out of interesting people to point out, so I'll just uh, run through this real quick. I will point out uh, there is a lot of local talent, uh, local as in from the Hawaiian, like from the Hawaiian Islands. So that was kind of cool to like see actual people that like definitely live there. <laughs> I was like, oh hey, yeah, that that looks like the neighbors and whatnot. That was kind of cute. Um, but I will point out that a layered akeo. Uh, is apparently making his debut in this film. He plays a character named Koa. Uh, he has a decent showing, actually. It, it seems like the the film went a little bit out of its way to showcase him a little bit because uh, he gets some shirtless time in there. He gets to throw hands with somebody. Uh, he gets like a, a very quick action beat where he, he uh, disarms a dude and shoots a rifle. So he, it, kind of a big deal for him to get to do so much in his first on-screen role as an actor um and also as far as i know he's he's a homegrown talent from i don't know what island uh, but he is most certainly hawaiian uh, it was kind of cool uh also he got he got the accent like he's he's from there trust me <laughs> um but yeah that was kind of cool to see him um i need to point out uh that there's a couple of character actors in here um who if you've watched uh, any number of 80s or 90s action films uh you will of course uh be familiar with them um if not by uh name then at the very least by face um i will admit wholeheartedly that i did not know these guys names but i have seen them take punches from arnold schwarzenegger and and steven seagal and i think uh, carl weathers at one point in the case of uh branscombe richmond uh he is a native american actor um who i guess is best known for being on the tv show renegade um, which i'm pretty sure a lot of wine moms were watching in the 90s um i probably wasn't allowed to watch it at that time but um he plays heavies in like every 80s and 90s action film you can imagine um i actually don't know what his uh like tribal background is if if he's uh native american or if he's uh, hawaiian um he might actually be both um because I, I do know that he has he has some like some footprint uh in the islands um but yeah he shows up as senator kane which was kind of cool because he does he, he's an old man now he's a happy old man in fact he doesn't have to be the big scary tough guy 
Uh, so he's just in the background of a lot of scenes being happy and hanging out uh, in a suit. Um, and then on top of that, uh, there's also, um, was it Noel uh, Guglielmi, I think is his name. Uh, he, yes, Noel Guglielmi. Uh, he, um, he has hair in this, which is a problem for his brand because that, that is off brand for Mr. Guglielmi, uh, because this fella, um, you will recognize him if you look him up. Uh, basically he's got, he's got the mustache. He's got the, he's got the chin fuzz. He got the big old eyebrows shaved head. Uh, he's, he is, uh, he is an action heavy. Um, if actually very seldom does action things but he's just like the big dude that's at the forefront of every gang um i'm pretty sure uh jim carrey made a monkey come out of his ass at one point uh i forget what movie that was but it was was one of those those secret christian movies where it's like oh no this comedy this like goofball comedy is turning into like a, a a morality tale fuck (laughs) <laughs> it's like can we go back to that first half when it was just gonzo humor um but yeah he pops up for like two scenes and they get shot in the fucking face by john travolta that actually was kind of funny i like that um but um probably like somebody that i do need to point out um it's not a big deal to anybody but me uh more than likely um i will point out that there's a fella named Cade vu uh, in this film, who from a aesthetic standpoint jumps right the fuck out at you, um, he makes himself apparent uh, instantly uh, as soon as he's on screen. Uh, so Kate Vu uh, is a Vietnamese actor, Vietnamese American actor, as far as I know. Um, that it's not like he's a big deal or anything, but um, I do actually remember him from a Korean movie that actually um, I picked up the Korean Blu-ray of called uh, Take Point, or uh, PMC is also an alternative title for it. Um, Very odd film. Not a very good film, if I'm being honest. Uh, The structure of it is truly, truly bizarre in some ways, but clearly it it was like an attempt for Korean studio films to attempt to reach beyond Korea to some extent, because it has a slightly more international vibe to it than a lot of a lot of more like domestic targeted uh, korean action films not a very good film um, but i did notice him in there um and also apparently uh, i'm looking at his filmography right now and now i'm curious to to go back and see if i can spot him uh he had a role in savage dog uh which is a jesse v johnson directed film uh featuring my boy uh scott atkins um presumably the two of them went at it in there i can't remember him uh, but i'd like to go back and check that out see 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 if he's got moves in addition to to the look um but yeah i just wanted to spotlight this guy just for a second just because uh holy shit uh he uh puts his time in in the gym to the extent that i'm like kind of concerned because like his body type is a little wonky like like he looks like again like you might have to google this i wouldn't expect you to know who the fuck i'm talking about because you don't have my brain um but martin ford uh speaking of scott adkins a gigantic british bodybuilder who has dabbled in mma um and has starred opposite scott adkins at least twice that i'm aware of 
Um, he looks like a scaled down version of him. He's covered in tats. Um, and he's got gigantic shoulders to the point that's like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm used to people doing steroids. I'm like very accustomed to looking at, looking like at, like in particular, like male musculature and being like, oh yeah, he's on the sauce. Not a big deal. I'm used to that. (laughs) Um, but there, there's a particular like rigidity and structure to that that's it stands out and it's a little weird to the point that's like you know I'm, I'm i'm really not as familiar with implants but i'm kind of thinking that might be what i'm looking at because like i'm not used to i'm not used to physiques looking like that but yeah cage has got some he's got some shoulders to say that um and this is a crazy tangent uh one that i'm sure nobody listening to this can relate to but um We'll point out that uh, as soon as I saw him, like I was thinking of another actor, um, Sam Medina. And Sam Medina was this actor that, I mean, he's still acting, but his career seems to have slowed down a little bit. But like beginning in the late 2010s, um, up up till like the present, essentially, he's, he's been on a bit of a hot streak. Like he's been working as an actor for a really, really long time, but I... Like around like 2018, uh, he he started popping up in a lot of movies that I in particular was watching, and I had never really noticed him until then. But then I like started seeing him pop up in these really really high profile films. So it seemed like he blossomed or like he he found the right people to work with or something because he's he's worked with like tons of huge directors. Um, but Cade Vu kind of like Cade Vu gave me kind of like a Sam Medina vibes, um, and apparently they're they're both uh, Vietnamese. Um, but in Sam Medina's case, he's also like super hapa, like, like hapa to the nth degree. <laughs> um, and actually, the two of them, as far as I understand, um, are have made it known that like their kind of ethnically ambiguous appearance is actually very much a boon uh, to their careers. And you know that that makes a lot of sense. Where it's like if you if you have it in you to represent many things, why why don't you? Um, now something that I, I absolutely have to do for Mister Vu after I've been talking him up and his his muscles, um, I need to read a little excerpt from his IMDb profile because this was some, this was some crazy shit. <laughs> um, so. Uh, the first part of it is about uh, how rough his upbringing was. Apparently, his his parents escaped the Vietnam War, and he was born in a Filipino refugee camp. So, off to a a really awful start. Uh, but clearly, he's he's in a better place now. Um, so I'll I'll start where things get fun. Uh, darkness aside. So, if there was one word that defines Cade perfectly, it would be juxtaposition. Cade has lived his life disrupting and defying everyone's perception of what he is and what he is truly capable of. These traits are in perfect sync with the crypto world as the blockchain technology is true disruption and defiant on normality. Uh, (laughs) not where I would have expected to go. Uh, It does say uh, IMDb mini biography by Anonymous. Uh, that little bit about the crypto stuff and the blockchain. <laughs> I don't know if he wrote that. I, 
I don't know if some bot or some crypto person, like anti crypto person, got in there and uh, filled out his his IMDb bio, but it's a little funky. Uh, a couple quotes from the man himself. It's war. Each challenge is a battle, and after the smoke is cleared, did you just win, or did you conquer? And also, my fear of failure will contradict any notion of pain or suffering. So, uh, clearly, Mr. Vu is quite the intense individual, and also he is down on the crypto which you know is all right with me because I don't understand that shit. <laughs> uh, anyway, just felt like I'd spotlight him. Uh, I don't know if his career is going to be going anyplace extraordinary, but he, he, he seems to be getting some roles. He's doing some stuff. Uh, and apparently he was uh, he was on like Hawaii Five O or something at some point, so good for him. Uh, okay, last person of note uh, besides our director, who amazingly I managed to skip over. Uh, fuck, I'm sorry. Um, Corey Large. Now, I had to look this guy up, uh, because he was annoying me. <laughs> I'll just be, just be up front. He was annoying me, uh, because he's positioned in the film, uh, this Corey Large guy. Um, large man, also. Um, kind of. Uh, he's positioned in the film as, like, the, the chief heavy uh, serving under John Travolta. So, Cade Vu is, like, he's... Uh, he's the more active uh, goon of his goon squad. Um, but this Corey Large fellow seems to be the one that has the most clout. Like, like he's the right-hand man. So he's positioned in the film as kind of a big deal, but he fucking sucks. Like, he takes up a lot of space in the f- in the frame. He is a large man, after all. Um, and he's supposed to look, like, menacing and tough, but, like, his hair is always kind of out of sorts. He doesn't wear his plate carrier very well. Like, it, it looks a little, like, it's the wrong size or something. <laughs> and, like, like his handling of the firearms isn't isn't particularly impressive or anything. Uh, his line deliveries are really stilted. He doesn't carry much sense of authority. Um, and at one point, the, the point that, like, I was like, I... I I had to like roll. I had to fall back in my chair and be like, "Oh, are you fucking kidding me?" Uh, there's a part where Stephen Dorff, like I said, he has a decent conversation with John Travolta. It's kind of neat. Um, and this Corey Large guy is asked to step in and like rough him up, and he's supposed to punch him in the face. You know, he's supposed to punch a man, a seated man, in the face. It's like you know, it's a free shot. Like, like you just got to activate your hips, and you could knock that guy out of that chair, no problem anybody could do this punch is so so raggedy (laughs) like he he doesn't stack it properly and and the term stacking when it comes to like action choreography or fight choreography is basically like lining up the the attacker and the receiver of the attack in front of the camera in such a way that you sell the impact of it without actually clobbering the person um they don't stack it properly and his form is terrible it looks like he stopped short six inches in front of his face it it, it was terrible it's like do that at Corey. do that again but when i did like two seconds digging on this guy i discovered that uh mr large may as well be named mr big um because he is the writer and producer of probably 80 percent of uh, the Bruce Willis films we've been getting 
uh, since like 2018. Uh, if you look at his filmography, it's it's just bam, 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 bam. So I don't know what sort of relationship he has with Bruce Willis, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're pretty tight. Um, like maybe he does, like he's a liaison uh, between like the director or the studio and Mr. Willis. Um, so on that note, it's like, I, I don't know what all that means, but it was really shocking to see this guy totally fucking suck on screen and then discover, oh, he's embedded in the production. So he, he's, he's gonna get to do what he wants to do, uh, and completely suck at it. Uh, he gets shot by, uh, Priya Lundberg in the film, by the way, and he, I don't know if he actually, I don't think he wore a squib. I think it was just a digital one. But he gets to fall backwards into, like, a waterfall. It was kind of cool. Uh, speaking of falling, uh, there is a shot in this film that made me fucking laugh. Um, there, we just have this random cutaway gag where we get to see John Travolta drop uh, a poor local um, from a helicopter uh, into an open volcano. Uh, it's very poorly green screened, but it's actually more endearing because of that. Or it's It's just this random cutaway thing that's like... This movie is packed to the brim with exposition dumps. That's like one of the most frustrating aspects of it. Is it. It's very dull. It has no momentum to it. And there's a lot of big reveals that happen where occasionally we do get like flashbacks or cutaways to actually show what happened and whatnot. But a lot of it is just somebody talking. Just one character revealing a big revelation to the other character. Like that. that's actually like one of the last things that happens in the film is like Bruce Willis is like talking down John Travolta in a hostage situation. And he's just like, kid, get away from that guy. He's not, he is your dad, but he's got a different face now. And and somehow you didn't notice that your dad got like reconstructive facial surgery and doesn't look at all like your old dad. And by the way, your dad, your old dad, I mean, he killed your mom. He's choked her to death. I know because I got a magic fingerprint scanner. That all just happens. It's oh, it's, that's a lot of words, man. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, uh, we. I, I was really caught off guard by by cutting away and actually showing that man get tossed to the fucking. <laughs> it looks terrible, but just the fact that they did it, just the fact that they decided, yeah, we can do that. Like, why not? We got a green screen. We've been putting Bruce on it all day. <laughs> let's let's go. Let's go find one of the locals and put like and Hans Gruber his ass onto a a, a green cloth trampoline <laughs> or a green cloth uh, crash pad with the camera facing down. Um, looks terrible, but made me laugh. Um, it was also a little bit cringe um, when they go to uh, Paliuri Village. Um, which, by the way, uh, the the Koa character, uh, Laird Akeo's character, he he mispronounces it at one point. Like like he says he has family there, but he says it wrong. Like the old lady said Pali Uli, and he says Pali Ulu, and it's like, which Pali is it, man? <laughs> but, um, the the village, uh, the the titular Paradise City, by the way, I wasn't expecting that to actually factor into the plot. There is an actual Paradise City in this film. It's like some whimsical Hawaiian village in the middle of the jungle that I, I you know, I actually have no idea if that's a thing in Maui. But um, the way it's represented here is very much the 
I don't know, the Disneyland or Disney World version of, like, Hawaiian tribal living. Although, I will give the film points um, for the casting of the of the residents of Paliuli Village. I was like, dang, those guys look local as fuck. <laughs> I was like, and also the fact that they all have guns and tattoos and trucks and stuff. I was like, yeah, look, yeah, a lot of a lot of slipper. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that looks like home, all right. <laughs> like that was kind of cool, actually. But just the representation of it, and it, it felt really tacky and antiquated. Like, like I don't know, baby's first Hawaiian kind of thing. Where it's like, oh, is this one of those movies that's like trying to introduce Hawaiian culture to the Hawaiis or something? Because this isn't the movie to do that. <laughs> but it, it actually, if I'm being 100% honest, it made me think of uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, when The Rock, uh, Hobbs, I believe his name is, he's, it's either Hobbs or Shaw, I had to hesitate, I was like, is it Hobbs or Shaw? It's Hobbs. Um, when he, when they go to Samoa, um, it, it reminded me of that, where it's like this weirdly heightened version of, of the real representation of what, you know, Samoa or, or what Hawaii is like. Um, and it's like, it's kitschy, and it's kind of tacky, but it, seems to be coming from a like a genuine like good place maybe but it it reminded me a lot of that um take take from that what you will but anyway yeah this this movie was not very good um it doesn't deliver on any front really travolta's like he's saying the lines but even he and i i was praising the man earlier like it, it was really it hurt a little bit to see him try so little uh, because in the past, like in in the past several years, I have watched a lot of his, you know, more more recent directed video offerings, and they were not terrible. Um, and a lot of that came down to him reaching, like like him really giving a lot of himself to th- material that was most certainly beneath him. Um, but even he doesn't really show the fuck up for this one. Um, but the one major figure that I probably should have led this this uh one-sided conversation uh in in speaking about um that i haven't mentioned is our director uh is chuck russell um because that was actually another selling point for this movie that i undersold at the beginning this this uh this podcast here uh is that that's a name that uh if it doesn't mean anything to you um you might want to google him uh because he probably does and you just didn't know it um it's a name that carries a lot of weight, but it's also a name that I suspect might carry some baggage because there's something weird going on with this guy's career. So the fact that this was directed by Chuck Russell was a shock to me. I was like, hang on, that that's a name I've not heard since... Uh, because that that's the truth, is that, is that he hasn't been working in a while. Um, so I'm just going to go over his filmography real quick, and this is where... As I said, if you, if you don't know who this man is, um, you probably do. You, you just didn't know. You just didn't know his name. Uh, kind of like the character actors that I mentioned earlier. So, Dreamscape is his first film. Not one that I know. Um, but as far as I know, it may have been like a co-directing thing. Uh, but the big one uh, that is a big deal to a lot of people in horror circles is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Some people call that one their favorite 
Um, I don't, I'm close to calling it my favorite. I don't know if that's the truth. Um, actually, I'm very partial to New Nightmare, um, but I'm very, very biased uh, because that was the first Freddy Krueger film I ever saw. I do know that that one is very divisive, but that's, you know, that's my take on it. Um, and that was a very, very, like, wildly successful film. Uh, I believe Rennie Harlan's uh, take on, on Freddy Krueger, the next film in the series, was the one that made, like, the most money. But Nightmare on Elm Street 3 did very well, and as I said, the legacy is very strong. Next film he did, we actually reviewed here on Catching Up on Cinema, uh, and this film actually traumatized me quite a lot. I still have nightmares i i do not scare easily at all um i i it's it's a thing with movies right i often feel very safe watching movies i don't i don't get the you know the spine shivers or anything while i'm watching things i I don't get too uncomfortable watching movies um the blob 1988 the blob uh the remake of the blob uh this this the the fucking letterman jacket kid that that kill just just destroyed me like like i don't know the first i don't know how old i was the first time i saw that but it lives rent free in my brain um very routinely uh, it just the imagery of it uh just pops up in my brain and keeps me up at night um the blob from 1988 is is a terrific uh horror remake uh not not spoken about enough um it it really is a standout among the you know 1980s reiterations of a lot of older horror cinema uh it's it's i mean it's not going to top cronenberg's the fly or anything but it's you know kind of in the conversation it's not it's not going to top invasion of the body snatchers but you know you might mention it in passing when when you're talking about those movies it's a great one now one that you know for people my age 35 uh is a huge big huge deal the mask 1994 chuck russell directed the fucking mask it made all the money as far as i know the blob you know probably wasn't the most successful but the mask are you get the fuck out of here the, the mask made all the money and guess what two years later eraser not at all anyone's best work uh certainly not arnold's certainly not james Conn's, certainly not chuck russell's also made all the money in the world though so he's got those two back to back in the 90s and then 2000 does bless the child which is a film that i you know i don't know anything about but came out in 2000 so there's a four-year gap between eraser and that and then two years later he does the scorpion king not a great film but a fun film pretty sure uh the fella that i mentioned the character actor branscombe richmond i'm pretty sure he has a prominent role in that one so the film the film industry is nothing if not connections revolutions so i'm sure the two of them met each other on the set of that film uh if not earlier and then eight years go by before he does anything (laughs) scorpion king did well at the box office as far as i understand but eight years go by before he does anything else he just does an episode of fringe in 2010 wow what what's up with the eight-year gap and then six years go by he does i am wrath funny enough the john travolta film that i mentioned that was not half bad he directed that certainly of a lesser caliber of film than than what he's done in the past and then three years go by and he goes over to india to direct a film called jungli i don't know if it ended up good i don't know if it made money but he went over to india to make a film <laughs> 
and here we are 2022 paradise city so my question and this is why i've mentioned this fella might have some baggage or something is what's the deal uh, like he clearly produced he he directed some very financially successful films and also objectively good films on top of that like these aren't rennie harlan films like a lot of these are actually well constructed well considered uh, special effects intensive films uh large productions in in general um and they're all pretty good uh, i can't speak for that bless the child film though uh, so i have two theories without any evidence backing them i love doing this you know pulling things directly out of my asshole two at a time uh one bless the child shat the bed and it, it cost him like in terms of his his standing among producers among the hollywood types two he is an asshole <laughs> he's such an asshole that nobody wants to work with him anymore uh or three there's some scandals going on a thing or you know four he's he's an older guy he's tired he just doesn't want to work as much because guess what he made all the money in the world three or four times over uh in in terms of his box office return so you know financially he's probably doing okay uh so i don't know which of those it would be um but his his career is it's odd that it's like damn he he was really hot there for a minute and then he just kind of took his foot off the gas and i i presume heading towards the end of the road although it does look like uh he has another indian film uh in the works uh, no idea when that's coming out but he is apparently still working uh so yeah chuck russell that's my little uh chuck russell psa is a good director uh, in general he, he does good work this is not an example of said good work um, in fact, it was a little sad to watch, although I will be kind and point out that the film does have subtle instances of production value, like they do have a dolly, like like there is sometimes lighting, like the, there are like instances where the camera moves with intentionality, where there is a cinematic language to the way the film is presented. Um, unfortunately a lot of it's handicapped by the fact that and I, I don't know if i emphasize this enough apparently this was shot in three weeks maybe inside of three weeks um so they were they were all gas no brakes the whole time uh that that would probably make make making anything out of this thing very difficult um and the other aspect is you know the budget and the biggest one though is the massive liability of having a you know cognitively compromised quote lead actor uh, headline your film um and have and knowing full well that every scene featuring that character is going to be have to require a uh, a nuanced approach uh to to the way you you shoot it and the way you edit it um all of that considered it's not terrible like like that those are an un ungodly number of handicaps before you've even shot a frame of film like like before you've even started you already have a rough road ahead of you taking all that into consideration not the worst thing that ever was um i did read that apparently um 
apparently the script as a result of the intense uh, shooting schedule and again uh, Bruce Willis's handicap apparently the script was being like rewritten and restructured on the fly um, I did mention that that Corey Large fella was also a writer producer perhaps that's also why he's in the film it's like he, he doubles as an actor and also by the way whenever he's not on screen he's rewriting the script um to accommodate mr willis um again if you take if you take into consideration all of that this is not a good movie at all um but that that's part of why i'm talking about right now that's part of why that's like a big reason why i watched it is because this kind of stuff, uh, trying to deconstruct the puzzle of, of how the thing was made and why it is what it is, is kind of interesting to me. So while I can't compliment the film for any of its objective quality, at the very least I can point out that effort was made. Um, nobody seems to be completely phoning it in, with the exception of our lead actor. <laughs> All the supporting cast show the fuck up. And, you know, it it is a coherent film at the end of the day, um, which you can't say uh, for every every film I've watched. There's there's a lot of completely incoherent garbage out there that's just like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> so it's a film. It, it It's completed as a beginning, middle, and end, and I, they don't embarrass themselves when it, when they, when it comes to the tricky task of having to shoot around Bruce Willis's handicap so it sucked but I can't hate it so that that's my review anyway uh, I've talked way too long about a terrible movie uh, so this was Paradise City from 2022 uh, this was uh, probably the strongest candidate that ever was uh, for a solo review I don't think I could ever convince Kyle to watch this um, he would probably hate me forever uh, if I <laughs> if I tasked him with watching it for a review, he'd, he'd just be like, what, what the fuck have you done with the past two hours of my life? <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Paradise City 2022, directed by Chuck Russell. Um, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other uh, catching up on cinema content, you can find all of that collected, maybe, uh, on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias uh, in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, uh, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So uh, feel free to hit me up at either of those, please. Uh, like, share, subscribe, and all that shit too while you're at it. Uh, and also, the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. And that being said, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.